if you guys remember, we did Jude, and Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. And in there, we showed verses about how Jesus had other half-brothers. And one of the other half-brothers was James. And so we're going to jump into the other brother. And so uh, you had these two. What was the other name for Jude? What was his real name? Judas. And uh, so Judas and James. Uh, so these guys were brothers. So uh, this James is not one of the original 12 disciples. So a lot of these names are repeated throughout the Bible. And so there's a lot of Marys, and we get confused with the Marys, a lot of Johns. Uh, but this was James. He was not one of the 12 disciples. He was the half-brother of Jesus. And so I, I gave you this verse when we were looking back at Jude. Uh, is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not the mother, uh, mother called Mary? His brother and James, and, and, and it goes through the list of the family, and it talks about who he was. And so we know that he had this history. You can imagine, just like with uh, Jude, about growing up in the family that Jesus was there and not fully understanding it. Now, from our perspective, we look back and we're like, yeah, that was him. But they didn't fully understand this. And we, we even explained this when we were going through Jude about how he looked back at it. And he wasn't like, I got to grow up with Jesus. No, he doubted. And a lot of it just didn't make sense from the very beginning of it. I, I'm excited. I am, I'm really excited about Sunday. Uh, because when you go back to the beginning of the story, there's a lot of neat stuff about the Christmas story. I'm going to start off. How does, who, what are the two people that, we, that, that the Christmas story starts off with in Luke? Who can tell me the two people that it starts off with? Joseph. Mary and Joseph. But it's actually not. It's Zachariah and Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 1, it starts off with Zachariah and Elizabeth. Does anybody know why? It's like, I thought, I, I got into this, and I'm like just rereading the Christmas story, and I'm like, why do we start here? Because a lot of times we don't necessarily tie it in, but it is absolutely tied in. And there's a lot of really neat, intriguing things about the story. Anyways, uh, this, so the, the Luke chapter 2 and 1 is, is also James's story. Because he was part of this family. So that goes back to his roots as well. Uh, he's referred to as a pillar of the church. Uh, when, when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, uh, they, they were people that, that lifted up the truth. They were, they were part of the beginning of this. They were, they were preachers and teachers. He died for, for preaching the gospel. He was a martyr. Uh, he was a key leader in Jerusalem. If you go back through Acts and it's referenced in Galatians, too, uh, about how he was a leader. He was known for this. Um, he's also called James the Just. Uh, James the Just is talking about how he's devoted to righteousness. Let me give you an example of that. Who knows another theme of James? What is a popular topic that we normally go to to teach out of James? Dealing with the mouth. Dealing with the tongue. Goss. Yeah, you, you can't. Talking about speaking the right things and controlling your mouth and controlling your thoughts and all that other stuff. He was the one who wrote that. He was very passionate about like things need to be right. We need to keep things right. And of course, when he knew the roots of, of Jesus and, and, and he saw it for himself, the resurrection and all those things, it really, uh, it, it really had an impact on him. 1 Corinthians 15, 7, it talks about how he was one of the original uh, people that was part of the witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus. And so when he preaches this, he's preaching from conviction and authority. Like, I'm not just saying this out of faith. I'm saying this from experience. And then he was martyred around 62 AD. 
uh, AD 62. And, and, um, and so we know this by the historian Josephus. But he was, he was just, he was a passionate person that wanted to speak truth. But he was very encouraging because he starts off this book talking to the audience. Now, the audience that he was talking to, well, let's just read verse 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So I, I love the fact that we brought this up before about how he was a servant of Jesus Christ. Who can remind me from our last study of Jude why that's significant? Why, why is that even, why is that so special for him to introduce himself? James, a servant of Jesus Christ. He didn't say James, the half-brother of the Jesus Christ. You know, he could have done that. But he, Mary and all of them, submitted themselves on the authority of placing Jesus as the Son of God. And so he puts himself, I am a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Uh, why were they scattered? Well, we find in the book of Acts, in chapter 7, 8, and then Acts 12, there's different persecution of the church. There was the time that Paul went in, had Stephen uh, arrested and murdered, and then and stoned. And at that time, there was, they thought that they were like extinguishing the gospel. And you guys know as well as I do, how did the gospel spread so much through the book of Acts? Persecution. I mean, you don't talk about all things work together for good. It was, it was because of the persecution of the saints that everything was uh, spreading. And so it was, it was they, they, they were all huddled in Jerusalem, and, and he's kind of kicking the fire. And the sparks go everywhere. And all of a sudden, the gospel is being spread through that. So sometimes when we think, man, things are so bad, and this is terrible, uh, God's working through those things, even those difficulties, to spread the gospel through these things. And so they were experiencing the victory of the cross, the victory of the resurrection. They're preaching the gospel, doing all these things. They experience Acts 2. And then all these things start happening. And from our perspective, because we can look through the whole book of Acts and go, oh, wow, God did some amazing things. But in the midst of it, it wasn't great. I mean, thinking in the midst of that, they were like, hey, did you hear what happened to Stephen? Oh, man, he got an opportunity to preach. Yeah, then they killed him. And like, oh, I was like, okay, uh, who wants to go out preaching? Like, oh, not me. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It's just like, I, it, it really would squish kind of the, the spirit of things. It's a lot of opposition. And then the natural thing to ask, aren't we doing the right thing? Is God pleased with what we're doing? Why didn't God step in and rescue Stephen? I'm saying just saying in humanistic thinking, you say, why are you saying this? Well, because of verse 2 and 3. You've got to understand, he's talking to the ones that are scattered. Think about that concept of scattered. If you're running because you're preaching the gospel and you're running because people like Saul is persecuting churches, and I read on Sunday in Acts 26 about how he testified, how I arrested and went to strange cities and I kicked open doors and I arrested them without cause and I did all that. If you got people like that chasing you down and you're running being scattered, what would be the spirit of yourself as like a Christian? You'd be discouraged. You'd be like, okay, where is God in all of this? And I'll be honest, I somewhat pick things like this to do to preach to myself if I'm being transparent. You know what I'm saying? When I'm going things because uh, when the Bible says count it all joy when you're going through diverse temptations, it's, it's hard to do that. So I almost, I almost have to go through 
and, and, and study these things just to be reminded of this. But they were going through some stuff, and it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that their friends were being murdered. It didn't think, make sense that the fact that they were reaching people and then they would die for Christ. And I, so I want you to keep that in mind. He references his audience as brethren 15 times. So he's saying to them, hey, we're all in this, and I understand where you guys are at, and where it was just a greeting among them. So the theme of this book is it's just a practical book written to believers going through a hard time. I don't even know any other way. It's to the scattered. It's to the ones that are running for their lives, trying to serve Jesus and do their best. Uh, it, was, it was talking about opposition and challenges, and, but the reason behind it. So James, the servant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes, to God's people that are scattered abroad, greeting. Now notice how fast it goes, because some of the books will go into, to my brothers and sisters, I greet you in love, and I, I hope that this finds you well. You know what I'm saying? How some of the books start off like that? Watch how fast he goes into this, okay? He's like, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. I think if I was getting this letter and I was reading this from James, and they're like, guys, we got a letter from James. It's like, what does it say? And it would have went on, brothers and sisters, I hope this finds you well. Like, get to the point. <laughs> you know, like, we're, we're dying here, man. It's just like, and, and he just comes out, and I can imagine as he's penning this, he's like, I just want you guys to know that, that, that this is going to be okay. Because he felt the pain of where they were at. He felt the fact that they were all under this opposition. And he says, my brethren, which I said 15 times he says this, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. I know it's probably marked in a lot of your Bibles about the different interpretations and things because... If you've been in church in any length of time, you've studied these passages before, so I'm not going to like introduce a new concept. Um, but the word temptations has a lot of meaning to it. Temptations more, means more than just being tempted. It means to be tested or being pushed to your limits. It has the idea to, uh, to prove something. It means to put the test to something. It means trials. And so he's talking about this in the aspect of, Count it all joy when you're going through rough stuff. Trials, when you feel like I'm pushed to the limit, like I can't take this anymore, like you're, you're at your breaking point. And, and I think this is applicable because I think all of us go through trials. I don't think. I know we all go through trials. And when we're dealing with these kind of things, it can come on suddenly. And all of a sudden, your world is flipped upside down in, in a matter of minutes. You know, I, I remember... Last June, the biggest thing that I had on my mind was planning Logan's graduation party, uh, figuring out when I was going to go pick up the cake from Sam's Club that we ordered. I, you know, all these different things that I had going on, and I thought, man, I, I had a heavy week where I had other things going on, and my family was coming into town, and I had all, you know, we we're trying to figure out, we've got to clean the house and pull up beds and do all this other stuff. Or, and then, then you get the phone call. It was around 1 o'clock. June 28th, I was sitting in my office, and Jenny said they found a mass in Logan's chest. And just like that, my life was turned upside down and has not been for a second the same. When, when the passage says diverse temptations, when you says you fall into it, the verbiage of even falling means of something unexpected. You're not planning for it. It hits you out of nowhere. And I think that is something that, if we are to be honest in this room, that, that is applicable to us. That even COVID-19, I remember having the deacons meeting, 
And we were in the third room, and Deanna and the ones that were here with me, because we had all the spouses and everybody together, we were down in that third room uh, at the beginning of this. And all of a sudden, I, I literally was on a phone call, on a, on a conference call with Mike DeWine, called a group of pastors, put us on speaker, and had a conversation with us saying, we don't know what to do. He, said, he, said, he just said, guys, listen, I don't know what to tell you, because he said, I am not going to shut down your churches. I'm not going to tell you not to meet. But just like that, he, I, I, we're, we're making decisions. And our world is filled. Your life is filled with things like that. It could change in the matter of one test result. It could change in just in, in, just in a matter of minutes. Everything could fall apart. And it's financial, things with your kids, spiritual opposition. So when the Bible says diverse, it doesn't just say spiritual. It doesn't just mean with the church. It doesn't mean just in one sickness or thing. So if you're just sitting there saying, well, my problem is nothing like Tony's problem or, you know, like James Carr has testified and stuff like that, it's nothing like that. But I, but I can tell you that we all fall into diverse or different. We can just read through something like this. So when he's saying you need to count it all joy, it was multifaceted, just like she was saying with this. And so uh, when you try to compare your problem to somebody else, sometimes you're thinking, well, either one, nobody else has problems, or I'm not going to ask for prayer or share this because my problem isn't as great as other people's problems. But the Bible is very clear that, that, that there's various problems that we come into, and so you don't have to compare yourself to everything. Uh, so anyways, trials come even when you're not doing anything wrong. Actually, if you're going to go by these guys, they were doing everything right. You know what I'm saying? They were the ones following God. They were the ones preaching the gospel. They were the ones doing all these things. And so it, it doesn't have to be because everything is wrong. I think diverse problems can come into your life because you are doing things wrong. You reap what you sow. I mean, you can't show up for work late every single day and then them come in and tell you that we're going to let you go. It's like, man, what's God doing to me? I'm like, ah, stop. That's you. <laughs> That's all you. You did that to yourself. Stop blaming God. You know, and same thing with our health. Sometimes we let ourselves go and we don't take care of ourselves. I'm like, God, oh, why are you doing this? And God says, no, you did that. It's all you. But here's where it gets weird. Brethren, count it all joy. I almost read that and think, what in the world? I mean, how, how would you count this as joy? Why, why, would you, why would you even associate joy with this kind of thing or something being good? These Christians were facing opposition, and James is like, I'm so happy for you guys, or that's the way that it comes across. But that's not in the context of what he's saying. The word joy is a calm delight or gladness or cheerfulness. So if we don't put this in proper perspective, it almost would make you bitter because it doesn't make sense. So, because if somebody came up and said, you're trying to tell me that I should count it all joy because my kid is sick, it's like, no, you don't understand. Uh, that's not what he's saying. So don't misread the, the, the passage. It says to count it joy, not to call it joy. The word count means to judge it or view it or consider it or think of it this way. So um, when it comes to me being a dad, uh, I, I, I make my kids do things, and, and, and it's different now, but I would make my kids do things that they would not count at all joy. And for any parent in here knows what I'm talking about. I would, I would want the best life for them, and I would make them do things that they're uncomfortable. And even to this day, it's still kind of the same thing. 
Uh, my, my daughter, she is a hard, hard worker. Morgan is a hard worker. She, she's, she's buying her own car right now. Uh, she's working down at Smith Market, so she works down there. If you ever go in there to buy a pie or something, she's usually one of the cashiers or whatever. And then she's going to school uh, to be a nurse at the career center, and she carries this bag. And so um, she comes home, and she's exhausted. And she falls asleep in her room, and she had homework to do. And as a good dad, do you know what I did? I went and woke her up. And you're like... She didn't say, Dad, I'm going to count this as a joyous occasion because you're doing this. I, I, I laid down next to her. I shook her, and I said, I want you to get up. Dad, I'm so tired. I got up. I worked. I, all this. She stayed up till like 2 o'clock in the morning doing homework because she had a ton of stuff to get done. Um, anyways, she just had a lot on her. The day that she sang for the Thanksgiving service, she was so sick and she wasn't even going to do it. She came home and slept for like two days. She was so sick. And then all this was, and I was, I was telling her, I said, Morgan, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up and get your homework done and then go to bed because you need to sleep all through the night, just not take a nap and then push that off. And I, I will push my kids in an uncomfortable place because I want what's best for them. And I will put them into things that they won't view as joy. But my goal is for them to look back and say, I'm glad I got my homework done and I'm glad I went to bed and I'm glad I got dinner and I'm glad I was able to take a shower and not sleep and then wake up in the middle of the night frantically having to do my homework because dad just let me sleep that because he thought that would make me happy. And, and, and the thing that God was teaching us is the fact that I'm going to do things in your life that I want you to view as I'm doing what's best for you or you're going to count it as joy. And I do this because I love them. And I'm teaching them to work, and I'm teaching them responsibility, and I'm doing things that they would not ask for. And sometimes God puts things in our life that we would never ask for. You know, I would never ask for my son to have cancer. But I am thankful for the lessons that I've learned through this, and I'm thankful for the, the lesson that God taught my whole family through this. But what I want my kids to do is I want them to view me from the, from the perspective that I love them. And for the fact that when I push them into things that are uncomfortable, I'm doing it for good. And I'm doing it because I have something better for them. They must view my leadership from the perspective that dad loves them and I care about every detail in their life. And so that what they have to do is trust and obey when they get into diverse things that are uncomfortable, especially if I'm the one that pushed them into it. Because if I'm the one that allowed it to happen or I put them into it and they know me, then they know I'm not out to hurt them. But I need them to view it from that circumstance and not from, the per, per, from that perspective and not from the perspective that I don't care about them. It's got to be from the perspective that God is in control and God always knows best. But we must view it from the perspective of what is true because our minds will play tricks on us. And we'll view it like if Morgan woke up, she could have been like, my dad knows that I'm working hard and he knows that I'm not feeling good and he knows that I'm tired and now he's making me get out of bed. And then our minds were thinking, my dad's a terrible dad. But she's got to trust me to know that I'm going to push her in a way that is best for her. We will be tempted to think the things that are not true and then we let our flesh take over. And then verse 2 is teaching us all these things. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. Why? Semicolon. Let's connect these thoughts together. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Knowing this, 
that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Yes, trials will come to us on purpose, but there is a reason why. When we're going through something like this, it's on purpose. It's not that God does not love you or that God does not care about you. Some of the trials in our life are simply because you reap what you sow, yes, but trials will also come because God is going to do something good in your life. It's the testing of your faith. Can I tell you guys how weird it's been for me? And I'm telling you, I have had a number of things that I've gone back through and checked notes on stuff, and I will put in their illustrations, and I give illustrations like this all the time. You will get upset with God because all of a sudden, your kid will get sick and you're questioning why would God do this. I've written those in my notes, and now I'm rereading those, and I'm going, <sighs> now I'm that person. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's easy to say it. It's a lot harder to live it. Because I'm thinking, now I'm that person. And I'm the one going through these things. He says the trying or the testing or making the application of your faith. So God will, God will stir us up because God wants so much more for us. So if we ever get into a holding pattern, God will push us into a circumstance that will drive us to our knees and make us look up and make us seek after him. If we ever stop growing or we stop challenging ourselves or we ever get to the point where we stop stepping out on faith, uh, God will do things to kind of stir our hearts up or put our faith to the test. It's amazing how some Christians will get upset with uh, new zealous Christians. And I love getting around new zealous Christians because they, they, they're, they're so eager to think. Do you, how many of you guys, and I would say this even if she was here, but she's not here tonight. How many of you guys know Elizabeth that comes to our church? She's normally up front. She will come right up and, and worship God and, and praise God, and she'll come down and pray in the middle of the service. She comes over here. Let me tell you this, and this is her testimony, and I know she's told me that she doesn't mind, and one day I'm going to give her to give her testimony. Uh, she, she was an alcoholic for 12 years. She's been homeless, and God redeemed her from her past. She, she's been changed for the last four to five months that God's done a radical change in her life, and she moved here to have a new life. She walks to church every Sunday morning for two services, every Sunday night to go to life group, and every Wednesday night to be in here. And she's, she, she, she's so zealous to do this because of the fact is she's excited about what she's been through to know what God has done. The fact that God's transformed her life so much. And, and right now she's in, in a, a program where they're helping her get housing and helping her get a job and helping her. And, and we, we were able to connect her to some of those things. And that's why she's not even here tonight. But sometimes we get saved so long. And, and me and Jenny, we were driving. We were pulling into the church. And she was driving into the, or driving in. She was walking into the church. And it was cold. And, and by the way, the other day when I stepped out with her, because I was finding out that she was walking the church and we were working and getting her rides and stuff after I found that, that out. And, and I said, I said why, why do you walk the church? And she goes, I don't care what it takes for me to get here. I'm not going to miss this. So she says, I just put my earplugs in. And she said, I worship God all the way here. And she does, by the way. Me and Jenny come in. She's standing out there and she's just lifting up her hands and it, but, you know, let's be honest with some Christians, they almost get critical of that. Like, why is she up front? Why is she going on the all? Why is she like that? You just don't know her story. God's still big and real to her. And I think sometimes we get so comfortable with our Christianity that we, the songs are no longer amazing. Grace is no longer amazing. It's just grace. 
You guys know what I mean by that? We, we lose the, the, you know, in, 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 yeah. we lose the enthusiasm. We lose the awe and the wonder of what God's done in our lives. And, and so sometimes you have to, sometimes God will allow things to come into your life that will re- renew those things or stir up those things or bring back those things to do that. By the way, most of the time when America is, or any nation has gone through revival, when has it been? Persecution, war, trials, famine, disease, all those kind of things. Because it stirs us up and drives us to our knees. And that's what, it's, that's what God, he's talking about here. Um, it, it, to stir that up. And he's, he's trying to put their faith. The faith is uh, what you believe in Jesus Christ and the things that you believe. But it's, it's making application to those things. When we say with God, nothing shall be impossible well, the only way sometimes you're ever going to realize if that's true is then God has to bring you to the point of something being impossible. Because God doesn't want it just to be a theory. He wants it to be a fact in your life where you're living that out. When we say that my God will be with me in the darkest times and we raise our hands and sing that song or sing that to that degree, sometimes God will put you in dark times for you to know that he is the God of dark times. Yea, though I walk through the valley to the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. The only way that you're going to be able to testify that it is real and it's, not more, it's more than a song lyric is to be able to testify and say, I've been through the darkness, I've been through the valley, and I can testify that, yes, God is even good in that time. Amen. But you, sometimes you can't, you can't testify of those things until you go through those things. So it's like, what do you believe? And he says, the trying, the testing, the, the application of your faith worketh patience. The worketh in that passage means to accomplish as it causes things. Literally, when God makes you apply what you know or apply what you say, it's going to make it more real in your life. Patience is perseverance or endurance. God makes you better with what you're going through. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give an illustration that I did not get permission from, but I feel like... Um, I'm not saying this to brag by any means. If anything, it's just something that I just, I just feel like I wanted to share this. Um, but this last year and a half has been extremely hard for our family, extremely hard. And I, I feel like a broken record every time I say that. But I think that God has made us stronger to be able to handle things that we normally could not handle because of the fact is that God's made our faith so much deeper. Um, about six weeks ago, Jenny... Uh, was on her third appointment for breast cancer. And we did not share this uh, with the church as we were going through this. And so um, we were shaken behind the scenes in a big way. And so because it wasn't just the first appointment or the second appointment. And so we had to go through this of lining up an MRI and going to the hospital and all these other things. And I just remember just how confident, and I don't say that like this, but I'm saying looking back at what God had brought us through with Logan allowed me to view this one differently. And sometimes when we never go through stuff, you never know what stuff you can handle. If you never go through stuff, you never know what God can handle. God is going to prove himself to be much more than a theory. So you have to take your faith of what you say God is, and God's going to try it. He's going to push you through it. And by the way, the MRI came back clear. 
but I, it, but it was, it was, <laughs> it was not fun. And, and things, and, and Jenny during that time where she says, I am not going to distract from Logan or, or everything else that we were going through. But we went through that for about six weeks and things. But God allows what you go through to be able to strengthen you for it to be, to become alive in your life. So let me read this again, but I, I'm just going to paraphrase this. If I'm, my brethren, view it as joy because something good's going to come from this, okay? When you, when you fall or you experience something that comes out of nowhere and it's different trials come into your life, you need to keep this in mind because God's going to try or test or prove himself to you by pushing you out of your comfort zone and challenge you to believe what you've said that you believe so that you can stand firm on something and say that I know, but I believed it because I've seen that it is true. When, and I, I've used this illustration in the past, so bear with me, but it's just one of the cool things. I had a youth pastor that bought like a, a Bigfoot-like type truck. It was, it was not a Bigfoot truck. It was just a truck with big tires on it. And... Uh, and he bragged on that thing all the time about how strong it was and, and things. And he goes, one day we're gonna, I'm going to take you boys out mudded. Now, remember, I'm from Alabama. That's what youth pastors did with their teenagers. And so we're going through all these fields that we had our uh, friends that knew and stuff like that. And we're going through all these fields and these pits and all these back roads and all this other stuff. And we're having uh, just a blast. And we got to a spot that it looked like a giant deep mud pit that we could not see the other side. And... And I just remember him being like, oh, you better not, boys. You know, you just never know. And we were all talking smack, saying, you said this thing had power and that it could do this. He goes, it does. It does. I just don't want to take the chance or whatever. And we're all like, you are such a chicken and all this other stuff. And I remember we were sitting in this, and then he backed it up. And, like, oh, oh, oh. and we plowed it, and we went straight through that thing. And it was mud everywhere. You couldn't see through the windows. It was, this, I can remember this like yesterday. It was such a cool experience. And we got to the other side and we were like a bunch of rednecks high-fiving each other and taking pictures of the mud on the truck and everything. And then when everybody was like at church and people are talking about like, I don't know if that's all that, we were standing up there saying, let me tell you right now, that truck is awesome and it can do anything. And, and it just reminded me, when God brings us up against something, God's sitting there saying, I can do this. But the only way you're ever going to know is the trying of your faith. You've got to apply, you know, like Daniel in the lion's den. I'm not bowing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'd rather die than be thrown out of here. All these different stories that you have. God's going to put you up against something and it's diverse, it's different for everybody, so the trying of your faith can work patience. Now let me break that down even a little more. The application of that word is maturity. When you're talking about work with patience, okay, is endurance or maturity that it's talking about. It changes you. But let patience have her, it's per, her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Okay, so the words, but let... It's literally, let God bring you through those things to where you can experience it to, to bring you to the point of maturity. That's what it's saying. Let it have its perfect work. Let, what, what, let what's happened in your life accomplish something good in your life. Let it, in the word, have its perfect word. literally means to make strong, to build up, to bring to maturity. And the perfect work means to, uh, to complete. It, it, it means that God's going to do something in you. Do you know why some Christians... 
literally just fall apart at everything. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and we, we all know those people. Like, I don't know where God is. And God is, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. It's, it's, you're just on the second interview or, you know, or there's, you know, things just fall apart on the simplest things. It's just because you've never had maturity. You've never been through those things. It's, you've got to go through some things in order to make you stronger. You've got to be put to the test in order to be made stronger. It's, it's, and I've used this illustration all the time. The only way that somebody's going to get stronger by lifting weights is to do what? And then add weight. And then, and then add weight. And then add weight. If you stayed at five pounds or 10 pounds or whatever, your barbells or whatever, you'd never get stronger. When you get to the point where those five or 10, and if that's all you guys are at, we need to talk about that because that's like, but you know, when you get to those 25s and the 30s or whatever, the goal is to set them down and to pick up the 40s or the 35s. You guys know what I'm talking about. And, and, that, and, and if we're going to talk practically with what God's doing, and you've been your whole life, Christian life, and you're at that 25, and you're like, God is good all the time. You know, it's like, whatever. God said, well, wait a minute. Put this up. Oh, man, this is really hard. If you put it down and you don't keep going, you stop growing. Amen. Do you guys know what I'm saying? If you put it down, and that's why the trying, let it do its perfect work. But the only way you have to do that is when God is your coach and God's sitting there saying, don't give up. I'm accomplishing something good. Joy is going to come from this. You will look back at this and say, praise God. God taught me these things as I went through these things. And even with the application of that, let, it, let, it, let God, before you get to those things, have her perfect work. Let it do its job. Let it build you up that you may be perfect or complete and mature, and it says, and entire. Um, it's, it's the entire literally means the fact that God has everything that he wants to add to your life. There's more that God wants to do with your life. There's more that God wants you to experience in your life. And so wanting nothing or missing out on nothing. And none of us have arrived. Just I don't care who you are or how long you've been in church. I can tell you no, nobody has arrived whatsoever. God is still working on all of us. And so what he was saying to this church, he said, I know you're scattered and I know you're all over the place and I know things are difficult. But he says, but I want you to count this as joy or the idea that God's going to do something through this. Because if the trying of your faith works to maturity or strengthen, then let it do its perfect work. Let God work through this to build you up, to make you better and stronger as he brings you this. That he might bring you to the place of maturity or bring you to the place of completion. Not that we ever arrived but be able to do what the next thing is that God has for us.